Welcome to Critical Hit, a major spoilers Dungeons and Dragons podcast. So glad that you're here with us this week. Hopefully you enjoyed uh, last week's episode where we sat down and played the Legend of Drizzt board game. I had a lot of fun with it. If you missed it, go back and listen to it. A lot of zaniness. A lot of, uh, <laughs> since we don't role play characters, we mm-hmm. just were characters the entire time, right. I think. Uh, really enjoyed that a lot. This week, it's been a while. Someone was asking, when are you guys going to uh, answer some more emails? Guess what we're going to do today? Answer some Nothing. more emails. Yes. Yeah, I want to these episodes again. Such as <laughs> this one from Charles. How's the troll back? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> hey, guys. I love the podcast. It's fun to listen and good role playing. Uh, you give me so, so many great ideas for character development through dialogue. So question time. I have a group of three PCs in the Dark Sun campaign setting. Ooh. As the ultimate encounter, I want them to take out the Great Dragon of Tear, cool. a level 33 creature who costs 200,000 XP. I have double I have double as to whether they can take Oh, I have okay. doubts yeah. as to whether they can take him at level 30. Do you have any ideas on how to balance that combat without decreasing the dragon's powers? I was considering giving each player a specialized vestige pack with one of the regular 4E gods, but I have no idea how to balance that at a theoretical mm. level. I, I would say the easiest way to balance that is to give them a magic item, either a weapon or armor. Or possibly a next slot item that, like, if you he wants to br- make sure that the PCs are up capable. To, are, are capable. Of I taking think the down. biggest problem he's got right now is the fact that he only has three players. Uh, so it's a three-man party trying to take ah, on an that's above the, that epic is a challenge. Problem. Well, yes. that actually, I, in that case, I would say add a add, add an NPC. Yeah. Yeah. Add an NPC. Find a monster that is. Um, Either probably an elite of a level equivalent to the party, maybe one lower, maybe one higher, depending on what you want, and throw that character along with the party. And uh, uh, for a, a, I believe a, a monster is uh, a solo is supposed to be equivalent to four, five monsters. Yeah. Um, so that will still be very challenging. But I would say adding an NPC, especially if it's an elite, would would bring the party up to speed. And the other thing, uh, like Rodrigo was going with initially, is go ahead and, uh, since there is only the three of them, go ahead and make sure they are equipped with you know, top-of-the-line top gear. Right. Just, uh, get them that really high-level gear. It's going to be a challenge for them Actual no matter what you do armor. here. Yes. Because <laughs> it's Dark Sun. Yes. Right. Uh, but just make sure that they are equipped as well as they can be. Or not necessarily as well as they can be, but you know, make sure they've got good gear through at least their three primaries. Um, establish something where uh, when they go fight the dragon, make sure that you're, uh, they're already like in a blight zone or something like that so that your wizard doesn't feel bad about destroying the universe when he casts a <laughs> spell so that he can maximize his spells. Yeah. Okay. Matthew, any thoughts or suggestions or ideas? I have no idea what you're talking about, so I'm going to go with what they said. Okay, maybe you can answer this question from uh, Robert. He's from, All right. uh, he's from Colorado. He oh. says, I'm a listener that is starting a, f- uh, a fourth time to listening to your podcast. Yay! Yay! <laughs> have a lot of free time. Uh, I enjoy going back and listening because I always find something I missed before. The thing I need help with is druids. Oh. How do you know what creature you can shift into and the damage and hit bonuses? Also shamans. Nice. With- <laughs> the thing I have a problem with is druids. Here's a complex question. Also, <laughs> girls. <laughs> it's, it's two different things. Yeah. First well, of all, it's shaman, as in yes, please don't I'm, squeeze the shaman. I'm guessing that he's talking about fourth edition. Probably. So you want to take on yes. fourth well, edition druids here, I, Rob? Okay. If you're talking about fourth edition, your whatever you wild shape into is whatever the frack you feel like. Yeah. It, there's there's no restrictions it's on pretty nebulous shape, no restrictions on pieces there's there's no Creature restrictions types. to what you can turn into the only restrictions they've really got is you don't gain any sort yep. of extra movement or any sort of size or hp or anything and that's the thing is mechanically your stats actually change actually they don't change at all they only allow you access to different powers yep so when you turn into a when your druid wild shapes you can wild shape your druid into an eagle but that doesn't mean that he can fly. He is still basically the same character. So it more falls to you to say, what are, what's the suite of powers that I have in my beast form? 
I'm right. going to turn into an animal that matches those. And once you get to Paragon level, there are powers that give you more eagle stuff and more snake stuff and more yeah. badger stuff and things like, like that. Badger, badger. And you also have to remember, you know, the, the simple rule for me with a druid is you can't use weapons. So you want to make sure that you have some sort of defense where you, you know, you're not like, like, for instance, if Torque were a druid, he'd probably be a little bit at a loss because his primary attack is so dependent upon his weapon focus. So, again, you have to think of it as separate from whatever it is that you do. For me, when I think fighter, I think everybody has a thing. And the thing that's most frightening and annoying to me is the beast form keyword crap. I don't understand the keywords, but whatever that's ah. about. Do you want me to explain the keywords to you? No, just be aware when you're playing a druid that they yeah. that they you got to have beast form and you got to have a beast form power. You can't pick the cool power that you want well, if it's actually, not a beast form power. The way, the way that the class is structured, it forces you to take at least one beast form power. So you yep. you can't accidentally play a druid and not have any beast form or human form. Well, you the class can actually if you're just, bad at it. Well, yes, if you, if you do it erroneously, you can. Um, but then again, if you do it erroneously, there's lots of stuff you can do. And, yeah, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yes, uh, basically, um, there are beast form keyword attacks, attack powers, and, and uh, or beast keyword attack powers, and and then everything else. And when you're in beast form, you can only use beast attack powers. It's it's pretty much as simple as that. And it basically builds this thing where um, the druid can get up close and control enemies around him as a beast, but can switch back to humanoid form and then do more of like your wizard style range yeah. attacks. It's, it's basically the back and forward there. Mm -hmm. You can very are they easily... still are they still limited as far as metal armor? No, no, no. no. Um, you start with uh, every uh, character class starts with certain proficiencies. So the mm. druids start out with hide armor. I think it's up to um, hide. You can take feats and build yourself up to metal armor, but because of the way the classes are built, it's basically you would be spending a fair amount of feats for relatively small benefits. Mm -hmm. Especially um, since the class is built to be wearing the lighter armor and most of the stat and the secondary stats are going to give you bonuses to your AC. Right. Um and the secondary stats are, are usually uh dexterity and constitution. Mm -hmm. So they're they're the more defensive stats are gonna be your secondary stats after wisdom. So what do you want to transmogrify into? That will tell you what your wild form could be. Yeah, exactly. Now shaman, I would be a platypus. Yes. Hey, those things if you have poison powers, you know, male platypus I've got those claws in have the back those of their... claws in the back. <laughs> I, there's a plan um, and they have I me. think they might they either have like a a, a, a dent like they have a, a bill with like ridges or they might actually have teeth I'm not entirely sure I don't know anyway um, when you talk about the shaman the shaman's big deal is that it can actually summon a little friend to help him along um, unlike say wizards where they have a daily power where they can summon a thing uh, the shaman can very easily summon a little guy um, that little guy, a lot of the shaman's powers are um, channeled, through. channeled through that guy. So usually what you want to do as a shaman is stay away from the fight and drop your guy in the middle of the fight. And that little guy, since the shaman is a leader, will beef, will, will, uh, beef up your allies and uh, hinder your enemies or actually outright deal damage to them. Okay. Hey, I've been oh. listening. Oh, you got something else to add? Uh, the one big thing with the shaman that we took a while to figure yes, out yes. was that the shaman's spirit guide has to be targeted specifically in order to be killed. You, it has to be hit with a uh, ranged attack or, or a, a melee, melee attack. attack. It Burst cannot attacks, be area attacks cannot harm, cannot even target it. We had someone die because we kept his spirit companion kept getting a hit in, in area attacks, and we found out, you know, after the, he had created his new character and the campaign had progressed for a little while, yeah. that, oh, that shouldn't have happened. Yep. All right. Uh, this one from Alan. Hey, been listening for a while and still trying to catch up. I know it's been touched on a bit in the past, but I have some questions anyway. My girlfriend and I are starting up a co-op campaign where we alternate who is DMing every other week. Yay. First question. Oh, my word. First question. How have you handled co-op campaigns in the past? Uh, uh, we've done... 
what I call the town bicycle every once in a while, where you need to make sure that your se- that when you come, when it's your turn to tr- <laughs> Rob's having troubles talking. You need to make sure that when it's your turn to run, you can get your ca- your session done in that in your story go. done in that one go. That's the biggest thing. Other than that, you need to set it up so as you know the next person doesn't have to try and finagle what you ended with. You know, yeah. The best way to handle these, unless you, unless the two of you are planning it together and sitting down and creating things together, and you just both kind of want to play and kind of want to DM, you need to set it up so as like the best one that we did was you were a guild that was hired out to do random things. Right. So this week's session, I ran. You were hired out to go slay the dragon in the cavern. You go slay the dragon. You come back. You get your reward. Next week, Brian runs. You need to go kill the rats in the sewers. Yep. <laughs> okay. Yep. And remember, the first rule of improv is build on what you're given. So mm-hmm. when somebody, you know, when somebody leaves you, your first expect your expectation is, and this happens. You know, there's nothing more frustrating than when you know, if you if you're doing a shared story, what they call an exquisite corpse, where you're like do 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 do, and then I write this and I write this. Is when somebody tries to build a game breaker in. Or somebody tries to, you know, put a thing where mine is going to be the penultimate story because you can't top it. This is it. This is as far as it goes. You know, right. we blew up the prime material plane. You're up. Yep. So make sure that you're, you're working in the spirit of cooperation and the expectation of I'm going to build on what you give me. And if there's something you don't like, don't use it. There's no need to negate it because right. that may exactly. be something they need in a couple of weeks. If if only the past twenty years of comic book writers have had that advice. Yep. Yeah. Oh, Word. the one other thing, both of your characters, since I assume both of you are going to be playing when you're not DMing, mm-hmm. should level at the same rate as the party. Yeah. Everybody gets to level at the same rate. There's no bonus XP to anybody else. There's no, you know, this person is out this week, so they don't get any XP. Everybody levels at the same rate. It's the only way to keep that party balanced. And this is my own personal thing about this. Some people will will strongly disagree with this, but those characters, in my opinion, need to have an out. Those characters need to not be there because otherwise you are running and playing your character at the same time, and that that can be very problematic. It's it's difficult enough to separate... um, NPC sometimes and you know you have to handle your character motivations and the motivations of your NPCs I would say you know the optimal thing would be your two characters are more or less the leaders of some sort of adventure guild yeah and they are the ones that are possibly leading the missions but your girlfriend is leading the mission when you're running and vice versa second yep. question most of the members of the group have ADD or ADHD, myself included. How would you suggest keeping their attention? What are we talking about? Medication. Yeah, that's Smacks one. upside the head. Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, I know, but I don't know ADHD. Is that Advanced Dungeons and Hard Dragons? Yes, and Hard, hard Dragons. Okay. Um, I, ho- I don't know if you mean that literally. If you don't mean it literally, if you mean that it's just difficult to keep their attention then I think that you just kind of have to ask them to focus. A lot of people yeah. are very responsive to you just going, hey, guys, I know that, you know, let's, yeah, sure, let's take some time to yeah. uh, shoot the breeze a little bit beforehand, but then let's get to the game. If you mean it literally, then there's not much you can do. If they are, if they actually have attention deficit disorder and aren't taking medication before your game, then chemically speaking they're not going to be paying a lot of attention to things necessarily uh consult your doctor yep agreed yep uh hello future people says marcello before anything else i must say thank you i wanted to play this game for a long time but it hasn't worked out as intended so i've been listening to your podcast Uh, um he goes on and gives us a a lot of praise i won't uh, repeat all that stuff here uh, Steven is, sure is awesome. We all love well, Steven. Get, and Steven, I must say I'm amazed how quickly you learned <laughs> to play this game, especially since you played with several different characters in a relatively short period of time. There we go. Uh, Matthew pushed it. Um, now some yeah, questions. That was, that's what I did, sure. I think Rob has never described Chain of Levistus. Can you please tell us what it does and what it looks like? The Chains of Levistus. Oh, yeah, I've never described it because it's never actually worked. Yeah. <laughs> Like, and I'm going it all in fizzles. And poof of nothing. Um, Chains of Levistus is 
posts so. make it so that it's harder for them to move. Yeah, a chains of Levistas deals damage when they move. Yeah, it like, deals damage initially. It, does, and it, it deals, deals more yeah. damage when they move. It's a cold power. Uh, if I ever actually get it to go off, I'll describe it at that point in time with whatever mood I'm in. Mm-hmm. Right now, I'm not in a cat mind frame, so I, I, I don't have any specific thing other than kind of a chain link. They're not chain link, but a, just a general chain with icy blue. But we'll we'll talk about it later. Yeah. For yeah. Rodrigo, have you ever read Spanish D and D books? I've seen a couple of them. I live in Chile, and I don't cool. like them at all. Some con- <laughs> concepts just sound silly in Spanish, like. Maltreco, M-A-L-T-R-E-C-H-O, for bloodied, and I can't remember them all. Yeah, there's there's a huge, huge issue um, when things get translated into Spanish, which is where they're being translated or for whom they're being translated. Because uh, Spanish is spoken throughout, from Mexico all the way down to Chile and in the Americas, and of course in Spain and random other places. Um and each region of each country has their own accent, their own uh, idioms, and all that other stuff. Yeah. So, um, for example, I played uh, I played Twilight Princess, uh, Zelda, The Legend of Zelda Twilight Princess, and it has an option to do it in Spanish, and it's in like Castilian Spanish. Mm. So it sounded hilarious to me, and like <laughs> a lot. Sometimes I didn't know what they meant. I didn't know what they were talking about because they used like a really weird word for dungeon that yep. you never hear in Mexico. So yeah, you can, you can, and you know, maltreco is like a really weird word. It so with Spanish uh, translations that certainly can happen, and unfortunately, it's something that companies aren't very aware of. So yeah. you can do something where like you're like, oh, I know. Lots of people from Latin America have been asking for this. They've been running their games in, in English or just translating it themselves. Let's translate it for them. Hey, translation mm-hmm. company, do this for us. And then the game sells horribly because they're all Argentinians. That probably sells well in Argentina. But right. there's going to be certain words that just do not translate or do not work in Mexico. And worse still, there are words that are perfectly normal in one country and are actual swears, insults, or euphemisms for <laughs> genitalia in other uh, yep. regions yeah the uh, the expectation and this is kind of off topic but it's still with it i work in a call center as you know we had a bilingual line of business i had four spanish speakers one was an american who learned spanish in the philippines one's from mexico one was cuban and one was puerto rican they spoke english to each other mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because speaking spanish across those basically and even those relatively simple borders of you know cuba to puerto rico for all intents and purposes, it's easier for them to speak English and translate it because English had – basically they had a, a similar idiom. They were right. able to say English American says – Right. We all speak American English, whereas our four different kinds of Spanish are literally four different kinds of Spanish. Mm-hmm. Once again, I'll say this. If you're looking for someone to translate, contact <laughs> Rodrigo. He does a fantastic job. I really don't, and I won't. He doesn't and he won't. I had to bribe him he with He does pictures. and he will. Oh, and pictures of El Santo. <laughs> uh, third question. That's Can true. You the please... one person I'll do it for is El Santo. <laughs> See. For he is El a hero Santo. to all and a friend to all children. Can you please explain how does wielding two implements work? I've read several different explanations, but in the end, I don't understand a word. Probably because it's in that weird Spanish that he doesn't like. <laughs> for the most part, wielding two implements means you have two different options as to what you're going to uh, shoot your stuff bonus. through. Mm-hmm. Uh, two di- like different bonuses or whatnot. Like, Ket has two wands right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them is just a general plus uh, two yeah. five wand. Now, one of them is a psychic wand. The other one is the infernal one that I got from Asmodeus. the bad guys. Uh, from Asmodeus. Uh, the psychic wand actually puts bonus damage on my psychic attacks. So, occasionally, I c- if I you know, was confident in being able to hit, which I'm not. <laughs> I would actually use the psychic wand for something like my uh, vestige, my my basic at will. Yeah, eyes of the vestige, which does psychic damage, so I'd get extra damage on it. Or otherwise, with the rest of my attacks, I would just use the plus three wand that Asmodeus gave me. However, there is a single feat that allows you to dual wield implements, and you get the power bonus to the damage on both. 
That actually might be a decent feat for Ket to pick up with that, except for the fact that I have the wooly pad. You're going to have a whip so on If Ket ever returns, that is. Yeah, it'd be problematic. Diminishing returns. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and basically, and, and, it's Chow Yun Fat's fault. That, that feat, too, I don't remember who. It might even just be wizard specific. It might be. But yeah, basically, you the 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 way that wielding two implements work is you get to choose which implement you're using. But if you are using two implements, then you need to declare which implement you're using because otherwise you can get into things where it's like, oh, yeah, I wanted to use it's like, or you know, because uh, they might have a daily power that gets tacked onto things, so you can't use the bonus if you have a plus three fire wand and a plus two ice wand. You can't use the bonus of your fire wand and then use the effect of the ice wand. You have to pick which one you're using and stick with it for that attack. And then next attack, you can choose which one you use again. How do you defeat a monster that has perfect immunities to both physical and magical damage? We were forced to fight a bastard child of a clay golem and a gelatinous cube. We had no idea how to beat it, and we couldn't run away. Um, the way that you beat that is... Smack kind of, kind of by calling out your game master on making something impossible. There, yes. in, in fourth edition, yeah. there's no such critter. In third edition, definitely in three point five, there's no such critter. Yeah, there, there's no such critter in any of third edition unless the DM made it himself. Right. And the that's other the thing, thing is, when yeah, the other thing is if it's if it's templates. a if it's a plot point that this creature is indestructible then there might be something you missed somewhere along the way where you had to get something to turn off its defenses or something like that. That's exactly. The, yeah, that's the only way I could see it. At which point, since you guys had no idea what was going on, your DM should at least be willing to give your characters some sort of idea there. Yeah. Um, this really probably we could have talked about a couple of weeks ago when we did our um, reflection episode where mm-hmm. we looked at the stuff. But this is something that, uh, Matthew, I think you pretty much answered... Uh, in that final episode, but why is Matthew so against summoning his dog in a fight, and why doesn't he use it more often? Mm. I mean, it's well, there's of- a there, there's a very clear thought process for me, and if you actually watch my torque fighting, <laughs> my torque fighting, and people give me crap about this, my torque fighting is deductive rather than inductive, and by that I mean, do you remember the moment Seven L's Wise and Torque and the boys are on the hill and the the, the on the on the dais, and there's the big giant robot, and he goes, "I am a robot." Rar rar. Torque yes. used his most powerful daily first. Hit as hard as you can, and then you go down and you hit as hard as you can, and then you go down and you hit as hard as you can to the end. Where if it gets to the point where I'm plinking away with my two at will powers, you know the combat has gone on forever. That, to me, is the way Torque thinks. Torque is, is straightforward, and Torque is a... And, and it, honestly, it, it, it's kind of counterintuitive. It's not necessarily a good strategery, because if you hit something on a you know a 10, this one goes to 9,000. 9, if you hit something on a 10 and you only needed a 3, you wasted 7, and then Rob goes, you should have held that, because you, we're going to need that 7 later, at which point I just you know be a bastard about it. But for me, the dog... At level two, when the dog was actually useful to us, using the dog was a full action. And a full action for Torque could mean, at that point, somewhere between 18 and 47 points. If I call the dog and use the dog to attack, the dog does, what, 19 points of damage on the maximum hit? It just didn't seem like the best use of Torque resources. And, you know... Torque is not somebody who's like, I'm going to throw out my dog and then I'm going to do this and we're going to have a pincer motion. Torque is a punch it and punch it and punch it and punch it until it dies character. So I think if I had been playing Sir Brenzen from the beginning and Brenzen had the dog, it would have been an entirely different matter. And also, um, I'm a little bit oblivious and I kind of forgot that I made the joke that led to the dog. <laughs> And didn't catch the reference until several months later. And then I realized, holy crap, I asked for the dog <laughs> and was given the dog. And then I started thinking about it. And I'm like, wait a minute. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I didn't necessarily put two and two together because half the time when someone says, hey, that was great. You made a reference to the episode 15 of the potato famine. I'm like, did I? 
where did I say that? Yeah. Yeah. In character, it's one thing. Out of character, it's basically I'm a jack wagon. Justin (laughs) sent a a couple of emails. He's got some real issues that we need to deal with. I'm going to run a game for my friends at school. I already Mm -hmm. have the story planned out where one of the characters is the son of a few gods. He is a dragonborn. But my friend who's playing him is finding a hard time uh, for us to get together. He's one of my good friends, and I don't want to kick him out. But if he can't ever come, we can never play. And while and and while he's also going to be playing the main character, I want to start the game as soon as possible. But I can't without him. We are noobs. Any advice is helpful. I have well, I have one piece of advice. Tough love. Yes, uh, really. And and my piece of advice is actually tough love for you, dear Justin. Right in Justin, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, you have to decide. Mm-hmm. You have to decide whether it's more important for you to run this game without your friend or figure out, like, basically kick everyone else out and rewrite the schedule so that your friend can play. Um, yeah. And both of those are viable, honestly. Uh, those are perfectly viable. You, Somebody's feelings are going to get hurt in the process, but yep. that's what happens with gaming. Usually when I start meeting new gamers and or get into a new group, I will tell people straight up, I only have people in my game that I want in my game. Um, I Scheduling conflicts, if scheduling conflicts are going to cause a problem, I will kick you out. It's really nothing against you. Um, but in order to play this game, we need to handle things a certain way. And that can be rough for people. Fortunately, I am not necessarily regarded as a super nice person, I guess. Yeah. But. I would say... I have three pieces of advice. One is a friend piece of advice. One is a dungeon master piece of advice. And one is mid-level management theory. Friend advice is talk to Kyle and say, Kyle, what's the dealie, yo? Because, you know, you're young and I'm sure you talk like that. Find out what it is with Kyle because it doesn't seem that you and Kyle are on the same page with him being that main character and saying, you know, Hey, you're kind of the linchpin of my thing here. We want to have some fun. You know, what what's going on? What can we do? How can we put this together? The friend thing, you know. You do that over uh, burgers and skating and whatever you kids do today on the Xbox 3000. I think they skate on burgers. There you go. Now, here's the second thing. Dungeon Master Theory. As a general rule of thumb, it is not a good idea to make a single character intentionally from the beginning the focus of your game. Yeah, that's just me. And you know, you, you, because what it does is if that character flames out or that player flames out or that character doesn't survive and you're forced to jump bend over backwards to either resurrect that character or find a way to replace that character, you've shot your plot in the foot. Mm-hmm. And worse, if it comes to the point where it's clear you're, quote unquote, protecting that central character, you know, basically he should have been dead. You're protecting him. It's, it's special treatment. Now, management theory states this. You have a player in your team that is not performing up to your standards. So what you need to find is a plan and help him to identify, this is my expectation as your quote-unquote game master, manager, whatever. How are we going to get you from your reality, which is you can't get to the game, to the point where we're actually successfully completing the game and having the fun experience that we all want to have. If you can do all three, well, then you're probably Rodrigo. Uh-huh. Rob or Brian? Um, I'm going to have to uh, uh, do a counterpoint on Matthew's second one. Uh, no. Uh, Rodrigo actually specifically had me make someone a central focus of a game because he, I, I was having a problem with one of my players... Not necessarily being a problem player, but just completely derailing anything that happened because that part of what he wanted to do was try to derail me. He, instead of actually like trying to go and progress a story or get anything done, he would attack the random townsfolk uh, and, and pick on, you know, choose a race that he disliked and pick on them. Yeah, be just racist in that way. It's just kind of. He was a problem player for me to handle, and Rodrigo's suggestion was to make him like a focus. And you know, no matter what he did, the party had to follow him. And yep. they, his, he was the one who did that. Right? Anything that he did was the story. 
See, and that's a management technique as well. Sometimes, sometimes you got to give Dave the Hackmaster plus twelve to get him into the game. Mm-hmm. You know that that right there is is a really good way to deal with a problem player, but. That's but, not necessarily the way to deal right. with an attendance yeah. issue. Right. But that's yeah, the way you deal with a focus. Si- it issue. is a different situation. It is. Uh, uh, that campaign actually ended up falling through, and I adjusted it because I really like the story I had going to the campaign that I'm running right now, where Brian ended up being the focus character, mm-hmm. and Brian was all I was able to. I was able to utilize Brian because I knew Brian would be willing to make mm-hmm. the time to come to the session. You can't make yeah. your focus character someone who's not able to do it. Right. That's, that's the problem you're probably having here. You might have to you know say you if you're not going to be able to make it all the time either i can change so you're not the focus you can make any of the other characters the son of gods dragonborn doesn't have to be a son of gods unless you know all your gods are dragons and then that's something else that you'd have to deal with last little thing on this um this has actually happened to me twice in the sense that i've been asked to join a game and i'm like well i don't know if i'm gonna have time yeah 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 do it I'm like, okay, but don't put a lot of the focus on me. And twice, this seriously happened to me twice, I walk in and it, they freaking make me the main character. <laughs> like, it's like everything revolves around my character. And I'm like, I can't be here for three for the next three sessions. Why are you doing this? <laughs> Justin's other big, uh, bug, big Conundrum. issue. Conundrum. Yes. Going to run a game for my parents. My dad Ooh. doesn't think I should play. Wow. Uh, the reason oh. that I'm running a game for him. He says that when he was in college, he had a few friends who would wear cloaks and amulets <laughs> and stuff around, and he said crazy things about how only a person could challenge one with a cloak if they had a cloak. He also said that some of them went crazy, and he thinks that's the same, same thing that's going to happen to me and the people that I'm wanting to run a game for. I'm wondering if this was another game or something else. I think it was something else. Something else. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was something else. Lots you know, of those friends to be Tom Hanks. What the I was, was yeah. going to say, I have never, ever met somebody who is this weird that plays Dungeons False. and Dragons. I don't know. I Matthew, you have, in I'm fact, just met I've, those people who? because we both knew them who? in the 1990s. You tell me who. Here's the thing. The people with the funny cloaks weren't funny cloaked because they played Dungeons and Dragons. They played Dungeons and Dragons for the same reason they wore funny cloaks. They were Tolkien geeks. They wore funny cloaks and leather hats everywhere they went. I I don't remember seeing these people. You don't remember? He was like six foot eight and he smelled like a dead rat. I can't remember his name. He always went by, well, I went by Slash. So, you know, it's not like I should go by much, you know, but he went by a nickname and it was like, Probably never encountered him. Doc or Captain or something. Probably never encountered him, to be honest with you. Yeah, you were probably off playing with Batman toys. But here's the thing. Girls, probably. Um, Here's the thing about if you're going to do. If you're going to do a game for your parents, I have two recommendations. First, get a pre gen. Get a pre-gen with a beginning, a middle, and an end, and just go through, get five or six pre-gens, and you just comb those suckers for anything that could be offensive, questionable, you know, violent. You find, you know your you know your father's pain points. You know that Red's going to call you a dumbass and threaten to break his foot <laughs> off in your butt. So what you do is you find anything that you go through it, and when you find something where Red Foreman is going to say dumbass... You set that aside, you move on to the next pregen. And it sounds like you're having only the problem with your father and not your mom. You may sit down with your mom and go through the pregens. Uh, since you said you were going to play with both your parents, you may sit through down with your mom since she you know, would know your father better than you mm-hmm. and may mm-hmm. be able to find some of those other points of contention and may know more about the story of the, fr- the people that your dad knew in college. Yep. So you'd be able to find those. You know, with your mom, you'd be able to find out a way to... Turn mom against dad. Exactly. You can, and and the last thing is, in this applies in any situation. If you know your players and you know what your players are into, regardless of who they are, you can actually craft a game that is interesting to them specifically. Yep. Uh, Anything else, Brian? You want to add? No, I wear those cloaks around. <laughs> I wear my amulet. On You're the making fun of my leather hat. Do not challenge me, uncloaked one. <laughs> Yeah, no, and Brian's I... busy in the uh, steam tunnels trying to find his brother. <laughs> he looks like Forrest Gump. This okay. one's from Christopher. He says, "I'm planning a excuse me." <coughs> 
He says, I'm planning a game, and I'm wondering how I can best use vignettes as a DM. I'm planning to have the PCs have vignette characters that are mooks in an enemy ar army. How Ooh, should nice. I best use these vignettes to enhance my PC's gaming experience? Thanks for the help. Great podcast. Give Torque a funnel cake for me, please. Uh, sounds, was, I mean, it sounds yeah, like you're halfway there. Yeah, yeah. That's largely the oh. thing. Uh, we had Alex, who's been on the show before. He's done this to great effect in a Star Wars game where... He would give us, you know, random soldiers to fight the oncoming sword, the Sith armada, and right. get wiped out. And I think really yeah. what you what you need to do is, what themes do you want to emphasize that are difficult to emphasize with PCs who are badasses? Yeah. And that's that's what that's what Alex did really well because we were mooks in an army. Is like a Sith shows up and just like tears through all the soldiers in front of us while we're like shooting at him. And I think. Uh, probably four out of five characters yeah. e in each one of those ended up dying, if yes. not all five of us, every time. And we had a great time because they weren't our main characters. Yeah. We got to see a little bit more of the story, and it really put an emphasis in, holy crap, the Sith are here, y'all. Yep. See, and for me, you have to be careful with a vignette because if you get too much oil... And your vinegar mass is off, you know, it's not good. I had a truffle vignette the other day at a Japanese restaurant. Really, really good. And I had it over some asparagus. But it's a vinaigrette joke. People, stay with me for... Oh, I quit. Oh, we got it. We got that's, it. That's the worst part. We, we got we it. No we, we were letting you go. Oh, no soul, my joke. We didn't stop you. <laughs> James. Brian's sitting over there going, is he going to keep going? Yeah. James says, if this will be read before December 17th, leave nope. out this part. Oh. It's a surprise for my party. Oh, well, guess what? We're behind on answering emails. Sorry. Go figure uh, I'm doing right. a custom campaign based December on the Mistborn novel trilogy group? by Brandon oh. Sanderson. Which one? A Mistborn trilogy oh, by Mistborn. Brandon Sanderson. You read this, Brian? No, I just know that they recently came out with a licensed game of it. Oh, okay. Fantasy. Eh. That answers that question. So, question the first. <laughs> is it a completely dumb idea to have such a custom game, especially since this is the first game that I'm <laughs> DMing? Oh, the world description yeah. straight from the book, but the enemies are modified with additional powers that are discussed in the book. Is this a good idea? It uh, depends what the additional powers are. Okay. Yeah. If if yeah. the enemies have the power to automatically turn whatever they touch into one of them, you might want to rethink that. There's a reason why in 4th edition, and trust me, I've walked down this path. There's a reason why in 4th edition, <laughs> if, a ve if a werewolf bites you, you <laughs> get a whole bunch of saving throws before you turn into a werewolf. Yeah. Oh. And if you oh, fail oh, all oh, those, yes. you basically are no longer a character. Right. And I would say that you want to be careful of whole cloth, not because of you know any questions of, hey, this is a, a concept or something that we may not be able to answer, or somebody else's underlying themes, but uh, you, I, I am famous for not telling my dungeon master that I know where he's stealing his plot from, <laughs> and kind of you know reverse engineering and steering things the way I want them to go. Because I know where this is going. And there's always going to be somebody in any gaming group who's going to be the guy who says, Hey, that's the lyrics to Sammy Hagar's I Can't Drive 55. You know, it, people, people get their inspiration wherever they get their inspiration. And some of the most creative things I've ever read are based entirely and, you know, directly on things that they were influenced by. Yeah. You know, it, it, plagiarism is the sincerest form of flattery. <laughs> but uh, when it comes down to it, you want to be really careful because let's say you get to the point where Mistborn Book 4 comes out and you're like, okay, we're going to do this and it's a thing and or the hero of the ages and th 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 I don't know because that's all I know about Mistborn is Mistborn colon the hero of the ages. <laughs> what? That's and the you, third no, book. No, I mean, you. Ex <laughs> I, I think you extrapolated that whole thing wonderfully. On no. a separate note, how much of an evening's adventure should be plan for ahead of time, aware that the GM has to be willing to modify the adventure based on the decisions for the party, but is there an average that I can count on? Twice as much as you think you need will never be enough. <laughs> That's true. Uh, the yeah. podcast where Torquette went off and got into the Gladiator match, then Orm was at the university and Smith was helping the other people with their weapons, amazed me uh, because I felt that Rodrigo well. had yeah. yeah, uh, <laughs> hadn't planned for any of that, but it was amazingly cohesive and fun to listen to. How much of that was pre-planned? Zero. Yeah. I mean, any time that it's, I, it's I pretty character much, driven I pretty stuff. Much, basically, if you if you go back and listen to that episode, I basically went, okay, what do you guys do? 
Uh, well, we sit around and do stuff. Okay, an hour passes. <laughs> you know, I was no, I was you? trying to get the characters to go out and do their thing, and like uh, three out of four characters eventually went out and do their thing, and I basically had to bring out a giant shovel and get Orem out into the world. <laughs> Um, but I don't yep. want to. Be I don't, don't want to go outside. I want to stay in with my books. Um, <laughs> I want to stay outside with my books. Um, I like and the glavin. My friends. My books don't make fun of me, except for that book about making fun of people. When did Orem turn into Professor Frank? I didn't catch that episode. So yes, none of very basically none of that was planned ahead of time, and that's because I know the world that they're playing in and I you know I can't you 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 basically will have to come over here and chop my head off for you to automatically get that ability yeah it comes with practice it comes with knowing the world uh, of your setting and yeah. just rolling with whatever the, pl- the the players do a note on knowing your world uh, this is still from the same guy who's doing the Mistborn stuff right uh yes right on Ah, uh, yes. This yeah. is one of the problems that we've run into with one of our DMs is that he li- he doesn't have his own settings. He likes to put you in settings from books. He likes to put us in the books. He basically he yeah, that's but. the biggest problem. He likes to put us in settings from the books. That's not a problem. Except he likes to put us inside the, the books next to the protagonists that he really likes that mm. still oh. have to do their giant the, hero thing. And oh, he yes. makes you marry Sue's. Not no, even no, that. Not, not even, even that. Because oh. Mary Sue has the power to do things. Yes. He makes, are, he makes are, spear carrying Mary Sue. Yeah, we are. We are basically. Um, we are Steve. witnesses to what's oh. going on, and we cannot yes. like. We cannot we tried change so this hard, roller like, coaster track. It, it was awesome because in in one particular instance, I had a a character that I had made to have a lot of utility abilities, uh-huh. and like. The, the the hero would be like, oh, somebody has poisoned the king and we don't know who it is. And I would be like, touch. Okay, I roll this thing and now I know exactly how many people and who it was and who has handled that vial. <laughs> and he would be like, anti-magic field, it doesn't work. Yeah. Kind of stuff, you know, like, oh. oh railroaded. Yes. yes. Yeah, railroaded spear carrying Mary Sue's. Man, yes. why did you play with this guy? We don't anymore, we, yeah, basically. We haven't we, played in a game he's run. Which is in, awkward. Yeah, we've we've kind of we've kind of sat him down at least once and been like, "Hey, dude, uh, this is. Uh, yep. y- do you see these tracks with like yeah. wooden things across them? We'd like to get off them if it's all right with you." And he's okay for a while, but eventually it steers back to uh, Game of Thrones. Yeah, yeah. and no, oh. I, I wasn't. I wasn't yeah. actually saying what it was. I was just making right. an example. Ah, uh, and the problem is outside of that big flaw he is a really good dm he, yeah he's really creative with a lot of what he's doing he's yep. good at putting the encounters together he's good at making it challenging he's good at he's and not he's, as good at getting the role play out as rodrigo but he's he's good at rolling with it too because i kind of made it my mission to get that game <laughs> off the rail and when i did and when i managed to do it he was pretty good about rolling with it and being supportive of what was happening while slowly trying to get us back to the course that he wanted. But in that course, we actually had fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nice. uh, let's uh, do our, every time we do one of these episodes, uh, where are the pictures from past podcasts? Yes. Allow me. Go right ahead. Some time ago, in the mists of time, the major spoiler server went... <laughs> 2010. Yes, and sometime in 2010, you will actually go back and you'll note that the only thing that's been replaced are hero histories, and the reason why is I was unemployed for a while. Mm-hmm. So, I well, it wasn't that I was unemployed. I had two months of vacation. I had to use it or lose it. So, at the point that we have time to put those back in, we will be happy to put those back in, but there is a chunk of, like, what, 35 episodes? There's a good chunk of our lives that are... <laughs> There's, yeah. There are quite a few episodes where the uh, the they exist, they're somewhere... We haven't had time to find them. Now, I want you to record this, and I want you to stick it on the beginning of every single <laughs> podcast for the rest we of need, our natural We really, we really need, to, need to make a critical Fact. hit. Yeah, yeah, frequently asked questions. Yeah. The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and also the crap that got lost. So was here's the lost. other question that we get all the time. Uh, Rodrigo's using house rules that I don't agree with, and if you, yeah. would not, if you would not use Rodrigo's house rules, you would be more awesome, fill-in-the-blank, Randus, Ket, 
May I? Um, blah, 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 blah. blah. <laughs> I want to do this one, is too. the strongest argument for that, but even then... Right, and, and what, they're, what they're referring to is that um, by the rules as written, when you use an area attack, you're supposed to ro- roll independently for each target, mm-hmm. um, and I just have them roll all at once. And The I, show's already long enough when we do yes. this stuff. One, one person sat down and said, here is why you should do it the 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 right way, the way that the rules mm-hmm. say. And he had this really complex oh, did chart. I forward that to yeah. You? Okay. He had this yeah. chart that was like, you know, here's how your rolls go graphed out. Blah, 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 blah. Here's how they go like this. So you see, it is more likely that the characters will hit and not hit and blah 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 blah. Yeah. That's fine. You are correct. That is right. There is a reason why the game is this way. It is because it can be very frustrating when you miss every character in a burst. Yep. Yep. I don't care. It makes <laughs> yep. every burst power an well, all or nothing proposition yeah. and I'm okay with that. And you know quite I mean, honestly, uh, you know, we don't know what uh, we're going to see in 5th edition. Maybe this is one of the changes we'll see in 5th edition. Who knows? Well, Who here's knows here's and something else that and really who cares well, is, is my opinion. I mean, I like the I'll way tell you who plays cares. the game. And runs the game. Here's the thing that you need to know. And I'm going to deal this. And again, this is, I think, my fourth call center reference in this show. So, hey, hat trick. I what? go to work every day. It's a sports hockey reference. Isn't it's a, a hockey reference. Trick three. Shut up. Three goals. Now, oh, what do I know about sports? I'm a comic nerd. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Turkey. <laughs> That's three strikes in a row. Now, oh, there you go. Here's the deal. Does Dungeons and Dragons has pages and pages and pages of rules. And just as when I go to the call center, I cannot say to Rob on my team, Rob, you're missing eight of nine metrics. I need you to fix all eight right freaking now. I cannot, will not, and no dungeon master ever anywhere will be able to utilize every single rule. And you develop shortcuts. You develop things that work for you. And you develop a taste for things that you don't want to do. And in Rodrigo's game, he chooses to do it this way because it is, in fact, Rodrigo's game. If it were not Rodrigo's game, I would not get away with half the crap that I do that I claim is, oh, yeah, that's Torque's wisdom talking. Rob would not get away with half the crap that he does, and there's no way in hell that Orem would have actually convinced the guy that he was Dean Darkness' nephew. (laughs) I I convinced him. (laughs) Yeah, that was Cat. He had had a good role on that one. That that wouldn't have flown. And the reason, you know, the, the same reason that... Statistically, numerically, you are absolutely right. It would be more effective. Is also the same reason why it would no longer be. It's. It wouldn't be Rodrigo's game. That is a rule that Rodrigo uses in a particular way. We're all good with it. Yep. And it may bother you. It may bother you like that broken tooth that I have in the back that I can't kick my tongue off. <laughs> but I'm not going to go to the dentist anytime soon because you know I don't have three grand, and that's why Rodrigo does what he does. I don't have three grand. Kevin and says... It, please donate. No. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> All analogies break down in the end. Did you say... We're going to say something wrong or not? No? Uh-uh. Okay. Uh, Kevin says, my question is this. How the heck do I run a campaign for one PC? Ooh. I understand that in theory, if I just follow the XP budget in my DMG, I should mm. it should work out, but it seems that it's too much could potentially go wrong with combats. Yeah, correct. I think that's one of those border cases where that equation breaks down and you really need to get probably two, if not one more, just one more person, but two really. The The game is really meant to have between three and five players, I think is really the the optimal number. Um, But they optimized it for four to six. Yes. Yeah. Well, they say they optimized it for four to six. (laughs) It works better at three. We did. We did go through a couple, or at least one level, with only three PCs, and, and we did. And a, you know, died. the first time that we met a worm, it was one person. Yeah, it was one so, guy, yeah. basically in a like doing almost a full encounter for four players, and by basically blowing all his dailies, or I guess his one daily at that time, you know, Orm managed to pull it off. Yay, Orm! Yeah. I have a great. mechanics. I have a mechanics question about multi-classing. I'm still not entirely sure how it works in 4E. Uh, much less uh, how hybrid characters work, though a lot of people online seem to be angry about it. Could you clarify <laughs> the mechanics of multi-classing and hybrids? First, they are I will, first I will yeah. clarify why people online are angry about it. 
people online are angry about it because they multi-classing is to... not the same way as it used to be, yeah. as it was in previous editions. That that right there is a the reason why people are angry about it. Do you want to talk about multi-classing here? Yeah. Okay. Ah, and I, I'll agree with most of the people that are angry about multi-classing not being the same. That that was probably the biggest loss for me mm-hmm. for fourth edition. Ah, however, multi-classing in fourth edition works through feats. Mm-hmm. Uh, to multi-class into something, you take one of the multi-class feats for mm-hmm. a specific class. Uh, this gives you access to usually a skill, uh, training in a skill, and some other pretty decent bonus. Right. Uh, they're front-loaded because, or they're front-loaded like that because the next three feats that you have to take for, or that you would take for any multi-classing, are power swap feats, where you swap out a encounter, a utility, and a daily power of your class for the class for one of those each in the class that you're multi-classing from. If you have all four of these feats, when you go to level 11, instead of taking a paragon path, you can do what they call paragon multi-classing. By doing this, you instead of having a paragon path, you become a fighter wizard or a druid barbarian or whatever you feel like doing. When you do this, you get to actually swap out an at-will power for one of the at-will powers from the others. And as you're leveling, instead of gaining the powers you normally would at certain levels, uh, uh, for a Paragon Path, like the Paragon Path gets an encounter power at level 11, Mm -hmm. as we've all seen now. Mm -hmm. Uh, Instead, you gain a level level 7 encounter power from the alternate class. Also, whenever you would actually gain a power from your normal class, you can choose either or. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, other than that, you've got the other feats. You can take there's for everything except for the primal classes and maybe the psionic. I don't remember if they did it for the I psionic. I don't think psionics have them yet. Uh, but everything but the primal and psionic classes have multiple first level or first tier. Multi-class, multi-class feats. feats. So if if what you like about the warlord is his, it's uh, it's little uh, battlefield manipulation ability, you can take a feat that simulates that. If what you like is uh, the initiative bonus, the initiative you can bonus, you can take exactly, that. exactly. Uh, the warlords are actually one of the best examples because they have more. Yeah, they have like four of any them. of the others, <laughs> yeah. because they have three secondary abilities, and each of them has at least one, if not two, mm-hmm. starter tiers. Uh, the primal classes only have the one, and the psionics. We're not sure about the psionic power. Wasn't one of my favorite. Yeah, I don't, I don't think. I don't think wonky. the psionics have all that many. Um, so uh, that's and and when you take a multi-class feat, and they are labeled, they have in little brackets, multi-class fighter, for example. That also means that you are technically of that class for the purposes of taking feats paragon paths. and paragon paths is largely what it to, what it yeah. breaks down to and so items and, if they and here's the thing yeah and here's the thing for paragon multi-classing if you have two classes that are pretty close together in the abilities that they want say a fighter cleric for example um and you have a, a fighter with good strength and good wisdom um when you take a paragon path, if you multi-class into cleric, rather than necessarily paragon multi-classing, you can find a cleric paragon path that and that looks at strength and wisdom, which most of them will, and take that. You'll get you'll basically end up with three clericy powers, but that's probably enough. It, that's going to be enough for a long time mm-hmm. um, for you to, to to basically express that clericiness. Hybrids are another thing altogether, and don't yeah. like. Keep them separate in your mind because the multi-classing yes. stuff and the hybrid stuff is different. With a hybrid, you basically start There's out being both classes. One more thing right. we need to mention for multi-classing before we move on to the hybrid explanation. Once you choose a uh, class that you're multi-classing into, mm-hmm. you cannot take a multi-class feat from any other class unless you're a bard because they have the cool ability that lets them take multi-class feats from everything, right. which I've built... He had a ridiculous amount of skills <laughs> and was just stupid. Yeah, fun. Lots of fun. So, it, it was fun. It, it, it was so, fun. Go ahead. What, what, what you're saying is this is awesome except when it's not, and sometimes it is, but when it isn't, it's not, and then it is. Well, it, this, is, this, is, I, this is illegal except when it isn't, and when it is, it's a lot of fun. It is an exceptions-based game. The exceptions that prove the rule. The hybrid character rules bug me. 
Okay. They bug me because it doesn't seem like you get a full class out of the. You don't. Well, you don't get the get. best of either. Basically, no. what you end up no. doing, it, which you end I up being a watered down version of both. Yeah. 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 And that's that's the biggest problem a lot of people have with the hybrid is they <clears throat> you are basically going to make a watered down character unless you choose some fa- so very, very yeah, yeah very specific options mm-hmm. at which point you're min maxing here's yeah, my which problem some people love yeah. that's why well, that's, people love that's third, fine. third edition Dungeons and Dragons in the fourth edition more than anything, and this is, you know, something that is a minor complaint of mine, is it's based on roles, your specific mm-hmm. role that yep. you fill in that group. And a hybrid class character is basically half of each and a full version of neither to the point where, let's say you have a character who's, uh, you know, half warlock and, I don't know, half uh, French tickler. You put mm-hmm. them together and you're still going to have to have somebody else in the party. Absolutely. So unless you have someone who's duplicating those abilities, or worse, four hybrid characters or several <laughs> hybrid characters, God help us, you get a group of six hybrid characters. <laughs> Essentially, you know, your character who's a rogue slash cleric ain't going to be a very good rogue or a very good cleric. Yeah, he's absolutely he's going to be um, he's going to be a roeric. Your hybrid character basically has to be your tambourine player. Or yes. backup singer. I mean, you yes, need, he's, you he's need, Dave Jones. Yeah, you need your you need your drummer and you need your bassist and you need your rhythm guitarist and then you can add a hybrid. Yeah. And yeah. even when, even if you're doing a hybrid and you're hybridizing two classes that fit the same role, you're still running into Coming the problems. Short, usually, unless you Lock. go with the controller classes, mm-hmm. those are the ones that hybrid the best. Because they don't have they, they don't have the marks that they have to deal with. They Most don't have of their the, controlling abilities come specifically the, from the powers, just straight not from up from the powers, not, not from, from class, class features. Yeah. They're all lightly armored, so you don't. If you do a paladin rogue, you're gonna lose the paladin's armor unless you take feats for it. But all yeah. the controllers are pretty much around the same scale of armor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, multi-classing basically is being a full-fledged something and having hints, tinges, mm-hmm. having bits and pieces of another, whereas hybridizing is taking about half of one and half of the other and kind of splicing them together until your apple tree grows pears. Yep. <laughs> hey guys, I Apples. love the show, but I've got to ask you something. I'm only in grade 7 and <laughs> want to start a D&D game. I've got some friends to play with wow. and we'll ha- and we'll have to be a DM. Yep. Uh, this is a girl named Rosetta. Man, having a girl DM will blow the guy's mind. <laughs> <when playing. laughs> I loved your Game Master's Workshop, the one that we did a year or so ago. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing, though. I haven't got any money to buy the books. Uh, I know quite a lot about 4E, but don't know all the rules. I'm using PDFs right now, which, you know, got to say that's a bit illegal, unless you're using, not in 4E, they didn't release No, nope, they didn't legally they release did No, they did. On. They did early on. So if you have the, P- the, the, PH, the, the, the original suite, PHB Monster Manual, and... Um, Dungeon, Dungeon Master's Guide. Guide. I believe that w- those were released legally as PDFs. We'll okay. just assume that's what happened here. Yes. That is exactly seven, what happened. Because grade seven <laughs> girls are that honest. Yes. I believe you. Hey. hey. No, I'm being honest. Um, but, uh, but they're awkward to use during the game. Yeah. So what do you suggest? Don't you use them. I, I, would, I would suggest Probably the deal with the awkwardness. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't have the money to buy the books, yeah. and you have the books available to you, keep using them. It'll be a little awkward, you know. If you, um, I, I, you know, I would say maybe print them out, but it's going to be expensive to print them out anyway. So uh, I mean, I'd they, say just roll with it. May... Double check with your library, perhaps. There's that. They. Does our library have the interlibrary loan? We don't go to the library. (laughs) (laughs) Gosh, come on, guys! Now would we go to the library? Okay, I live in a in a medium sized city. At least suggest checking (laughs) used book sites online. There you go. Yeah, I was right. You got what your third PHB for what five bucks? Yeah, good. No, that's right. It was even less because of slight water damage. Which the slight water damage means somebody urinated uh, on it in the middle of the night. Possibly. (laughs) uh, The slight water damage here meant that eight pages in the middle of the book were a little wrinkly little tight. On the corners, yeah. The other thing that you might want to consider too if if you're trying to get these and trying to get other enhancements is I say use the Rodrigo method. 
Go over to Amazon, create a wish list. And then when it comes to holiday gift-giving time, Mm -hmm. you just point people to that, and then people can just pick off that list of games and books and figures that you may want. Because your relatives right now, they don't know that you don't want silly bands anymore. Yeah. Tell them to give you D&D books. Uh, Also, I've been wondering how everyone organizes their D&D games. I've heard about three-ring binders, notebooks, and whatnot, but still want to get your expert opinions. (laughs) Notebooks, primarily. (laughs) I have... I, I have a trapper keeper. Yeah. I have a uh, trapper keeper from 1984 with a picture of a robot on the front. Your trapper keeper is as old as I am. Uh, you want uh, met yeah. somebody today that's the uh, got the exact same birthday as mine, but only uh, 20 years later. Yeah. <laughs> uh, One of my coworkers today was like, "You're five years younger than my dad." Yeah, <laughs> and I'm like, "You're five minutes away from a severe beating." <laughs> uh, my organization methods are weird uh i have i keep notebooks with me at almost all times so i've got notes in just about anything i also have sheets of paper like it, it organization is just totally what you can do um yeah not I, something we can do yeah. for 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 this for critical hit i have a binder and i have a binder that at this point is pretty much just for critical hit i, I mean i guess it's not a binder it's one of those like, like folders accordion, with the yeah. with the accordion stuff underneath so i can and have different pockets yeah it's got a little tie i seal it with wax every day i got a <laughs> ring with a signet yeah. on it the mark, the mark of Clan Lopez. It's got like two wolves on a side, and then a tower in the middle, and then a so guy with a harpoon shooting that, one of I the mean, wolves. It's awesome. There can be only uno. Yes. I will tell you right now, uh, Kyle Ina. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's important that you figure that out because mm-hmm. I use my trapper keeper. Rob has his, you know, gr- books full of something that's either, you know. Uh, an elaborate cipher or completely in, uh, incomprehensible scripting. Usually you got to figure out what works for you. So pick something, try it, and if it sucks, then you'll modify it as you go. I mean, I had a friend who did everything on basically the equivalent of big stacks of cocktail napkins. He would write on whatever scrap of paper was around. He'd chuck it in his little folder, and at the end of the day, you know, he'd go and he'd translate it or transcribe it or whatever you want to transit. You know, he he'd uh, Manhattan transfer it to something else. <laughs> And then he'd have everything that he needed. I knew one guy never used a piece of paper, never used a die. I ran across an app, and I haven't tried it. And I don't remember what it's called, but it's got a little elephant on the icon. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know what you're um, talking about. I've got that app. And it allows you to... Evernote, I think, is what it's called. Yeah. Of course Evernote. you do. Evernote yeah. or Evernote or something yeah. like that. Huh. Um, and it basically syncs stuff from your phone if you have a smartphone and your computer and any computer that you load it on it it basically creates this little cloud just for your stuff and i've really been considering it because i do get ideas at random times where i am not near a piece of paper because i'm in the middle of nowhere in a pig farm but i am like it a lot of people like i am i I do have my phone on me so i can use that i haven't tried it yet it might be something to try again if you have a smartphone uh, but it sounds like you don't have the money for D&D books. Although some, some parents do equip their kids with uh, yep. with phones. And the other option, too, is um, you might see about buying the D&D Insider subscription for a year. Yeah. I know it's 75 bucks. Yeah, 75 bucks that's, a year. That's But that does give you access to all of everything. that stuff. Not, and you know, $75, dollars is, though, for someone who can't pony up to twenty nine ninety nine for the books is saying. not a lot. $75 is the equivalent of three... Dungeons and Dragons books. Yeah, three of the big three of the big hardbacks I, or I, everything. I don't think that's a realistic expectation for no, this. No, I'm just saying it's, it's something to think hey, about. You know what? Might as well throw it out because yeah. again, yeah. if we're talking Christmas presents, that subscription might be worth it rather than mm-hmm. getting a, a PHB, a Dungeon Master's Guide, and because your grandma doesn't know any better, Heroes of the Feywild rather than the Monster Manual. Yeah. Um, if they just get together and get you that insider subscription, that might do it. Yep. Um, you guys uh, want to do one more hour or not? Sure. Okay. Okay, everybody. It's officially stupid o'clock. All right, hold on, hold on. <laughs> I don't got work tomorrow. <laughs> all, right, all right, everybody. We're going to wrap it up there. We actually have so many more questions to go through. We need to do one more session uh, next week on uh, questions and answers. But before we go, I just got this in the mail, and I'm shocked and honored and humbled 
by what David has done for us. Fantastic work wrapping up the season, guys. Just amazing. Love the show. I'm one of those people who are listening to all the episodes for a second time. I usually listen to them with my son, who isn't quite a year and a half old, but I'm pretty sure he's a super fan of the show. And so not not only am I signing up for a $10 a month donation, I'm retconning our lives so that we've always been super fans with a one-time donation for $10 a month since July of 2009. Wow. Oh, my. That's, that's, that is super, man. That's awesome. That's amazing. Thanks. <laughs> very good. And so, as the official very... keeper of the retcons, I officially declare this retcon... Canonical. This is what I'm going to do because the David Domini, has Domini, done, Domini, Domini because David has gone <laughs> so far above and beyond in becoming a super fan, uh, and this is really a very nice donation. Thank you, David. I'm yeah. going to send you one of our limited edition uh, critical hit season one T-shirts. We mm-hmm. still have a few of them lying around. I discovered a box of them not too long ago. Some people are like, "Can I just give you twenty-five dollars for one?" Nope. People have to do something pretty spectacular to get one of these critical hit T-shirts, and I think David has proven that he is a super fan. Oh, yeah. And I've got your address, David, and I'll get that out into the mail to you fairly soon. Now we need to find the critical hit equivalent of Ditka. 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 Orem versus the Hurricane. So if, if, you, uh, if you would like, if you enjoy critical hit, if you want to see critical hit continue uh, for, the, for the future and you want to enjoy the adventures, if you want to see, even if... If Randus and Torque live, what happened to Seven Owls Wise? What happened to oh. that little dwarf guy that's always walking around going, He does not do that. You do not get to decide <laughs> what other characters sound like. But if you enjoy Critical Hit, if it's an important part of your life, and if you have the funds. Now, granted, we just heard from Rosetta, who doesn't have funds to buy the books, mm-hmm. but we yep. heard from somebody who did make a major donation. If you can make a donation, we really appreciate it. There are a couple of ways you can do it. You can do it like David and do a one-time major donation. In addition to doing a recurring donation of $10 a month, or if maybe $5 a month, or heck, $2 a month recurring. $2 a month recurring is less than one of these hardbound Dungeons & Dragons books that we were talking about. And, and here's the thing. We will take your money. If you want to give a one-time small donation, we'll take it. We're not proud. Well, no, no. I mean, it's this no. is, and I don't, I don't consider this begging, but it's a tip for saying oh, thank absolutely. you for what you do. And there are costs associated with this, and there are some very serious costs that are coming up in the near future that will impact our ability to continue to do Critical Hit in the way that you guys like it. And we want to continue to do that. We don't want to put this show behind a PayPal wall uh, or anything like that. We want to just make sure that it's free as long as we can make it free. But, you know, we could certainly use your help. So uh, if you have any questions... <coughs> We're going to come back next week with uh, another uh, uh, email uh, question mail sack, and then we will get into uh, Rob's campaign, and uh, we'll, we'll tease that next episode as well. We're going to so call it the Rampain. Yes, the <laughs> Rampain. So, uh, podcast, Majorspoilers.com, and until next time, here's hoping all of your dice rolls are critical hits. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.